What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I am your host, Danny Morang, and this week I am joined by the homie. I don't know. We're, we're, every time we do this, we're just like, "Hey, what's his title again?" Uh, it's, it's Dave. Dave Deckard, obviously, is 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 the OG, and he is the Grand Poobah. So, are you the the Poobah? I'm not. Yeah, I'm the understudy. It's the, <laughs> no. the, the non-grand Poobah so far. But thanks yeah. for joining me, man. Uh, obviously, we're having you on because hey, the season's coming back, and let's see, it's a Sunday. Let me go ahead and do the math. Uh, the draft is around the corner. And so we're going to focus a lot on the NBA draft, which obviously you and uh, a bunch of the other guys on the site have been releasing uh, draft profiles. We'll get into some of those. Uh, we'll take a bunch of questions. I think we've got nine to go through. Thank you very much for getting those in. Uh, a couple of them are going to carry us through some pretty heavy stuff, but uh, it's been a little while since you had you on. Let's get your, your, your initial reaction to the season coming back December 22nd. Literally NBA basketball is six weeks away, which is insane to think about. Um, just kind of overall, what's what's your, your takeaway of everything that's kind of happened and transpired in the past, I don't know, two, three weeks? I mean, it's it's shocking to see how fast it's come together and both sides come to an agreement on this. Like, I think there's obviously – there's incentive for both sides to come to an agreement quickly here mm-hmm. and just kind of get this season out of the way. And then hopefully, you know, we're back to a, a somewhat normal environment after that. Hopefully, hey. fingers crossed. Yeah. So – um, as a as a blogger, I couldn't ask for a better timeline because I used content, up all my, I used up all my off season content during the <laughs> hiatus. So like I'm literally was like banging my head, well not literally, but figuratively banging my head against the wall is what I was going to put out. Uh, Should we tell the- everybody about about our our, our secret book? <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> we for everybody wondering, it does actually exist. We 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 do have a book of off-season content ideas what is it it's like, it's like 100 plus ideas now right yeah it's a, it's a monster i think it was started by <laughs> by tim and dave potentially i mean i mean it's so old it probably could have been started by ben no legitimately it's 10 it's yeah. 10 years old which today happy birthday ben golf yeah shout today. out ben it is his birthday yep so Happy birthday from your father. But for everybody wondering, like, oh, this is just something they had to gin up for the offseason. It's kind of true, but not really because we have this stuff literally written down. So we're like, hey, it's a really slow day or week. We can actually pull something from this. Maybe there's stuff in there we still haven't done. But mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's levels of desperation. Well, I mean, in the I've content always, matrix. I've always, uh, not to look too far behind the curtain, but I have a lot of, like, pre-made Kevin Love traded to Blazers type articles that I, I almost want to put, because I've wrote that article probably six times since I started writing. and like I, I won't do it just on principle. I kind of want to just release them in a series and just show how it evolves. But From, ah, it's not a bad deal, to why are we still talking about this? Yeah. The levels. Yeah. I swear to God, I saw somebody put it on the timeline like the day before yesterday. And I was like, we're not doing this, are we? Are we really we're, – we're well beyond this. He's not washed. It's like the same thing with, like, Carmelo. It was like they were never washed. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea of, like, getting him in his contract this – this was always the fear with Kevin Love, right? You know, when they're talking about this trade three, four years ago, like, getting to this point, like, this Kevin Love, you don't – it doesn't help anything, so – no, nope. but I'm not going to go down this road. I'm not going to do it. I'm not We're already too far. It. We're already too far down the road. We got to go. <laughs> All right. Let's flip it over to the draft because that's, that's what's crazy here. 
what has it been like trying to scout these guys, talk to agents, get feedback, and kind of keep track of this entire process? Because even though we're obviously not in the front office, we're still dealing with the same kinds of things where we're trying to get information. There's smoke screens going out there. There's guys like LaMelo Ball who could easily fall out of the top 10. That is as crazy as that may have sounded to anybody else out there. Like there's certainly a team that would take him one and two, and there are teams that wouldn't touch him with a 10 foot pole. That's the, the variance we're dealing with, but being able to get Intel about who guys are, where they're at right now, the what seven months worth of workouts that they able to put in, in between what's that entire process been like for you to kind of go through this kind of this maturation of this draft cycle. Well, I think with me is like, I'm normally on pace. I started a draft book on a lot of these guys a year before they come out and just it's notes because I spent a lot of time watching college basketball. I almost watch more college basketball than I watch pro basketball outside of the Blazers. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm keeping notes there. Obviously this year we're at a very different environment. You're not seeing, especially these smaller college guys get the opportunity to play mm -hmm. in the tournament and play against top level talent. So that definitely has been, it's been a lot harder to evaluate these mid-major guys. Um, that said, there's a lot of really good international players in this draft class stashed between like all the way from two to second round guys. And those, those guys, luckily there's a huge bank of available games yeah. that you can find, whether from international competitions or their domestic leagues that they're in overseas. So those guys, I have a really good read on. Um, I mean, I've been a huge Denny fan since, you know, I've been, you and I have been talking about him for about 18 yeah. months. So, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm enamored with his game. Um, but I think the real, like kind of the hard thing that I've gone through is what have the guys worked on since this, we've seen them last. Yes. And there's a lot of guys that have reworked their shots and some of it looks better. Some and of it does not. Considerably <laughs> worse. So, and, and a lot of the times I really don't buy into that. I mean, jumpers in an empty gym or jumpers in an empty gym i mean if your jumper the, starts looking like mine though you have problems yeah let's yeah. let's preface it that so, way <laughs> and, and really it's the the agents in this process from who, what i've talked to it's it's been very different but not yeah. necessarily all for the worse i think it's been there's certain agencies that have a larger client pool and those guys mm -hmm. have been able to work out against each other. And that's a major advantage, but also in this evaluation process, I think, I think more guys are getting looks. And as far as like being able to get tape in and go and not everything is revolving around getting six guys into your facility and six guys out of your facility and that constant churn where some guys can get left behind when you're targeting just a target group of like 24 guys. I think teams that, are lasering in. Yeah. Well, I think, but I think, I think they have looked at a larger pool of players because of this process of being able to pop tape in and, you know, setting up a zoom call is a lot different than yeah. flying a prospect in for a one-on-one -on -one meeting. So I think from what I've understood from some of the smaller agents that I've talked to and, or who have a smaller client pool, they've said that they've actually had a lot more direct contact with a lot more teams than they normally would have in this process. I would I would estimate that you are going to see the difference between good front offices and bad front offices show much more in this draft than you otherwise would. Because like you said, there, there's more guys reaching out, uh, more GMs, more front offices are certainly taking blinders off. Uh, we've seen franchises in the past get enamored with March Madness performances. Mm-hmm. 
some right, some wrong. I mean, <laughs> John Morant, definitely right. But like yes. there's other guys where, I mean, we're still waiting on Shabazz Napier to keep LeBron James in a certain city. So, yeah. so I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I think every year there's a lot of stock put in guys like that, that otherwise shouldn't be. It's, it's the whole idea of like, you are what your tape says. Like you have got five months of doing this, but you have three weeks of doing this. And all of a sudden there's so much weight put on this because they did it under the microscope. And it's like, maybe he just got hot. Like that's the, um, let's flip in, go, go into the draft part of this specifically. We've got some questions we're going to get to. Um, but I, I asked you to give me your three guys that you really want to take a look at. So give me your three, who, what, when, where, why, and your, your kind of reasoning behind it as far as the, the most interesting and maybe the, the, the guys you'd like to see in Portland uh, in two weeks. Well, I think, I mean, the name that we probably heard the most attached to Portland just because of where he's at and where he would fit on a timeline is Sadiq Bey who out of Villanova, he's kind of, I mean, he fits perfectly for what this roster needs going into the offseason. Now, granted, you don't know how this is going to look through free agency or who they choose to resign or don't resign, but Sadiq Bey is a guy who's played the three and the four at Villanova. He's probably, I see him more as a four in the NBA. Which, um, just to be clear, Portland still doesn't have an answer for. Yeah. So for everybody's like, uh, they have, no, they, they need help at the three and the four. The ubiquitous forward position and so i mean bay with with that i think he had what's interesting about him and what you rarely get to see in these these late lottery or lottery prospects is you've seen him play in two very different roles in his college career where as a freshman he was very much a tertiary player played off of the guys around him and you know he was a safety valve that's i think that film is more important than what he put up in his second year where he's putting up these big numbers and shows that he can carry an offense can do multiple things is a good decision maker can pick up a lot of assignments but I really think the blend of those two and mainly the emphasis on that first year is really encouraging for like uh, teams looking that are on the fringe of the playoffs or looking to add a cheap asset to get to there they might not have the flexibility to go out and get somebody I think Bay is definitely fits that mold. He's someone I'm very interested yeah. in for Portland. The the other guy is RJ Barrett or not RJ Barrett. <laughs> I'm losing my That's mind. That's a Freudian slip. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I'm not looking at RJ Barrett. RJ Hampton. Sorry. Ugh. So anyway, RJ Hampton, I mean, similar, similar worries. Yeah. Similar worries. I mean, there's, there's not really a lot of outside shooting and there's this rumor of a reformed shot. Um, we were, I was not hinting at him earlier as far as something no. that looks uglier. I think his actually does look better. Well, um, I mean, the original was, hey. was not good. It was a beta. It was, it was, that jump shot was still in beta. It, the new one looks like it might be okay for public release. That's, that's the hey. difference. Improvement, improvement <laughs> is improvement. So we're not getting a force close on your app on your phone when this shot goes up. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the, his shots better. He played in Australia. Like LaMelo, these guys really didn't play a lot in Australia. And actually, in Australia, the team that RJ played on in New Zealand, he played for the New Zealand team there. He, that team was better when he wasn't on the floor, which is not always a good sign. But there's a, there's a big but here. There's a major difference. I, want, I, want, I know the guys in the ringer, uh, Vernon and O'Connor, talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to kind of hit on it a little bit. 
the difference between playing college basketball and playing in the NBA, NBL, is night and day. Those NBL teams, everybody talks about, oh, the, the Dukes would go in the NBA and win a game. Oh, they could go to the EuroLeague and win a game. No, they can't. Grown-ass men will go out there and punk these kids night in, night out. The only guys who can hang, the only guys who can hang, are the John Morants, the Zions of the world, the guys that are no doubt NBA-caliber dudes the second they get there. That have a frame that can support their skills. Yes. And that's just – RJ does not. Just... LaMelo does not. But I, in the long run, I think for those guys and guys going forward, it is better for them to go there and get punched in the face. It's not good for their draft stock, but it's good for them mentally, physically to go there and learn how to play as a professional. Exactly. More than anything. And, it, and it's not really what's going on on the floor in those games. Like you said, it's learning how to be in a, in a pro facility and a pro coaching mm-hmm. staff, having a workout regimen, a diet plan specifically worked out for you. Um, I think really, and I, I joked in my profile that I did on RJ about how I could really copy paste his fit from Anthony Simons. Yep. Um, and, and I say that for a reason, mainly because the way that RJ can create separation and World get class. his shot are, are the same. Now, RJ's shot is behind where Ant's is. Significantly. Like it looks a little prettier, but Ant has that mid release that, it's Dame-esque that it gets off yeah. immediately. And it, like, I, I don't think, and then again, this is me gushing about Ant. I don't think I've ever seen anybody close out and actually bother Ant's shot, even, if, even though it's a low release point, because he gets it off so fast. Um, and RJ, and this is something that we, we've talked about, you and I, both privately and publicly at least, uh, about this team. The Portland Trailblazers are the least athletic team in the entire NBA, and I will stand by that. Mm-hmm. Outside of a couple flashes, Nurks moves really well for a big dude. He's still seven foot, 300 pounds. He's still mammoth. Zach moves well for a seven footer. Dame has some of the best Excel D cell probably in the NBA. CJ is very shifty, but you just go down these guys. There's two guys on this team who I go, those are explosive athletes. That's Ant and Nas. Gary moves well. But I don't look at Gary and go, that's, that's a world-class NBA explosive-level athlete. And yes, there's levels to this. They're all great athletes. I'm not calling them bad athletes. We're, we're, we're grading on the NBA scale. Portland could Wait. do something to, to look at a guy like RJ in that vein alone. I, I think, too, is what you see with a lot of Portland is you rarely see the – the size and the athleticism line up at the same time. Yes. Like that is very non-existent. And like, that's why I think a guy like Wenyan Gabriel becomes kind of a cult hero in Portland because explosive you athleticism, see, you see what it's like to have a quick twitch athlete that has the frame to back it up. And that's, nope. and that's going to be a theme that you're going to see me hit on consistently as we move through some of these other questions. But, but RJ getting back to RJ real quick, he is definitely that type of athlete. He's a high flyer. He's just a lot of his problems are tied to, I believe, fixable problems. Some shot mechanics, which he's obviously addressed. He's been working with Mike Miller since the season ended. And really, remind me, Mike Miller, good guy to work with, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, (laughs) uh, uh, especially in that department, especially in the shooting department. Um, I I think he's a guy who defensively, he's going to be a plus eventually when he gets there. But there, and he, a lot of his problems, it's funny to watch him because the way he gets caught on a screen, 
we watched it happen to CJ and Dame for three years. Yep. And we know that it is a fixable problem if the investment is made by the player. And I think by all everything I've seen and heard about RJ Hampton, he works. He is going to make that type of yep. investment. Um, last is I saved him for last because he was he's a guy I've been fascinated with since this process started is Isaac Okoro. He is there he is. He is this Auburn wing that is a lockdown defender who I am confident could come in and play NBA minutes and defend from day one. Offensively, yeah, it's not ideal. He, his shot is behind where he's at, but I give his offense more credit than most people do because I don't think he makes – he prevents he, – he avoids mistakes that he can prevent. So, yes. like, he doesn't dribble into trouble. He can play through contact when he has to. He, he's not a ball stopper. Like those are things that you can really mitigate your deficiencies when you're good at avoiding those things until they catch up with the rest of your game. Now, granted, Okoro's a little bit outside of Portland's draft range, but overall, oh, we the- don't know what's going to happen in this though. Yeah. He, one of these wings is going to go tumbling. One of these guys, like a ball is going to go tumbling and that draft order is just going to get shot to hell. Mm-hmm. That, well, that's, that's what's going to happen. So it's, it's a good idea to even mention the, some of these guys that may go in that 7, 8, 9, 10 range, even though Portland's obviously a bit behind that even. Well, I, I, outside of that, I, I guarantee there's going to be someone who's going to fall in this draft, and it's going to be surprising. I mean, Portland ended up – Took one last that. year. Yeah. Yeah. So – but outside of that, everything you're hearing is you have a lot of trade partners that are wanting to trade back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, granted, everybody in this draft, I feel like they want to trade back. And I want to clear up a misconception on that is it doesn't mean that this is a terrible draft class. I mean, there's just a lot of question marks and there's a lot of guys. I imagine everybody's board is different. So there's, you might think this guy is going to fall to you and you're to your team where you're at. And he very well could. There's this range of 10 to 45 where that, I mean, pick your poison in that range, really. So, but if Portland does want to move up, they have the assets to do it. Mm-hmm. They have those smaller assets. And I don't think it's going to take much to move up in this draft. It all depends so. on like, if you, as long as it's outside of the top eight, from mm-hmm. basically nine on, Portland has ready-made assets to move into the top nine or the, the, yep. the, the nine, 10, 11 range. If one of those wings is there and they really want him, they can go get him relatively easily. They, they mm-hmm. have the pieces necessary to make that happen. And I, I think Okoro is a, a super interesting guy. I think he's that rare blend where I think you could get some production in Dame's prime years. And he's a guy who could develop on the offensive side going forward to be that complete two-way player. I'm going to put and, you on the, I want to put you on the, on the table here. If Portland's there to pick, let's say they trade up to 10. This is going to be somewhat reminiscent of 2017. Okoro and Patrick Williams are available. Who are you taking? No, I, I, I can go on my Florida State rant, <laughs> but, but I, uh, I'm taking your Kuro. Really? Easy. Okay. Because here's, here's, what I, here's what I don't like about both the Florida State wings, Vassal okay. and, and Williams, is I watched Matisse Theibel, who is not as good of an athlete than those two, put up double the steal numbers in the same zone system. And those guys at Florida State have never they, – they, they play zone defense. 
yes, they get a lot of turnovers and they get, they, they can sell out on defense. Mm -hmm. They are not going to have that luxury at the next level. True. And granted, I could very much eat my words with both these Florida state guys as Kyle likes to remind me every time he does a profile on a Florida state guy, because I won't do them. So I'm like, I'm way too harsh on these, on this team, but just remember who does Patrick Williams profile a lot like? Was it? Who, I mean, who, else was at, of, who else was at Florida State and had a lot of these same things and is probably going to be a DPOY player for the majority uh, of his career? We'll see. If he can stay healthy. <laughs> so. True, true. But when I looked at – and, and again, I'm not anti-Acora. You know where I stand on Acora. Mm-hmm. I think he's a hell of a prospect. But I look at a guy like Patrick Williams, and he's, he's that guy for me this year where – you know me. I always get attached to one guy where I'm like, they're going to end up being pretty good. And I watch tape of him and I just hear what his coaches say. There's a lot of things that are reminiscent to a guy who, and this, I think there's, there's some truth to this. We talked about this a little bit earlier, the coachability with, with, with a guy like RJ and a guy who will really commit. And a coral I've heard is the same way. There are guys who no doubt want to improve and get after things and I look at Williams and I see him as an NBA-ready guy because he can come in and the shot's already workable. There's a, it's not great, but it's, it's certainly workable. But the length, the athleticism, the explosion, and the dedication to get better are all there. And I think, if, I think he fits better on a team that's closer than Portland is, but I also can very easily see him being a guy that – after a month or two could ramp up and kind of like what we saw with Gary Trent Jr. this year, mm-hmm. where it wouldn't be the offensive impact, but it would be the defensive impact. And I think he would be more like what maybe Portland thought Collins would be at the four spot, being a little bit more twitchy, being a little bit more instinctive on the perimeter. But again, I think a Coral could address those same concerns and maybe slide yeah. down and be a little bit more of a three. And I, I think a I mean, Really, and just to to be clear for those who aren't listening that aren't completely obsessed with Florida State basketball, we're we're talking about Jonathan Isaac, <laughs> but um, I don't think we ever said that. I just want to be very clear about that. Um, I think Akuro does a lot of those same things. It's just mm-hmm. it is a it's a shift up in position where it's the small forward shooting guard. It's, and it's, I think it's a two three to three four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think Akuro is a guy who eventually is going to be able to guard a power forward on a switch. I mean, it's not where you want to see him all the time. It's a lot, it's a lot like what we see with Gary. Yeah, Gary yeah, can guard yeah. one, two, no problem. Him sliding up to the three, a couple possessions here or there, you know, in a shift, that's okay. But you don't want to see Gary as your three, having mm-hmm. to go up against a Kawhi, a PG, a LeBron. Like you don't, he's just like as hard as he worked against LeBron in the playoffs. And he did make him work. Yeah. There's just no there's no room to make up five inches and fifty pounds. You've got to they Portland, if anything else, they have got to find a way to get bodies that are that NBA prototype thick boy. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they need thick boys with a lot of C's. That's that's yeah. that's the big takeaway. <laughs> All right, let's get into some of the, the listener questions here. Uh Christopher Mazio. Uh, at Maz Northwest, assuming all the top tier wings are gone at 16. So all your wings are gone. All of them, Steve, all of them. Who do you suggest the Blazers pick? Uh, I, I think we've talked about this a little bit before we went on air, but I, I think Cole Anthony is a guy who 
I've been impressed with. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's another guard for Portland, but like you said, the framing of this question is no no wings. The wings are gone. At, in this point, I would say you can always find a cheap third big, I think, no matter what, in free agency. So why not invest more in the backcourt long term? I think Cole Anthony is that guy who has the modern skill set as a scorer. He can score from all three levels. I think North Carolina is a disaster for these top picks, top prospects. I think you just say zero- disaster in general. <laughs> yeah, there there was zero spacing for Cole Anthony last year, and he's some guy. He was a guy I was very low on when I went into this process, and when I went back and watched a few games, I I was very impressed with what he could do with the amount of attention that was on him, and then also outside of his time at North Carolina, I mean, me and you had the the privilege of going and watching a private practice for the USA team last year at the Nike Nike facility and who looked and, like a god tier player among men and and Cole Anthony is that guy but not only on the court but he's a guy that everybody looked to when you're getting in and out of the next drill yep. he's also a guy who goes over and stands with his dad Greg Anthony and Andre Miller and is they're talking about the game running like this, through everything. He's, a point, he's he's a point guard's point guard. Yep. And those guys I think are set up for success at the next level and I I mean it would just be a cool story to see him come to Portland. He was born um, here. Yeah, born here. Greg is still very much attached to the city. He's always fond to the mm-hmm. uh, of the Portland area, so I I think even if I think even if there's a, a couple wings in that range that are on the board, I think Cole Anthony should still get a long look from the Blazers. Cole Anthony was a top three prospect coming into this, into this uh, season. Cole Anthony, and this is, again, to steal a little bit from, from Chris Vernon, and it's kind of irritating because uh, this is the same thing you and I have talked about with, with, Greg, or with Cole Anthony. Um, Michael Jordan, um, Invitational, or Jordan Brand Invitational. Who was the MVP? It was Cole Anthony, wasn't it? Hoop Summit. Uh, Cole Anthony. Okay. Yeah. Nico Uh, had a good game too. He did. He did. But uh, McDonald's All-American game. Who's the MVP? Cole Cole Anthony. Anthony. (laughs) When the best come out and the best play, who shows out every single time? Cole Anthony. We saw it in those scrimmages. We saw it in the practices. And you want to talk about like controlling a huddle, controlling a team. Be like, there are so many guys out there who can go out and get buckets. There's never a shortage of those guys. There is a shortage of guys who know how to run a team. And if Portland has shown anything, and I've certainly been against some of of Olshay's picks in his time here, but when it comes to finding guys who have high basketball IQs, they hit those. They hit those Mm -hmm. every single time. Gary knows the damn game, and he's a pedigree guy. Damon oh, CJ Ant is a guy who is a grinder. Nas lives in the gym. They, the guys they go after, they are hoopers, hoopers. And I, I don't say that as like a homer. I, I've seen the work that goes into these guys. I've seen the stuff that they do off camera. I've talked to these guys. Like the, the stuff that goes, these guys, even if it doesn't translate, the guys that they're going after every single time, they – and I, I think it's, it may be even to their fault sometimes, is they typically go for the guys who understand the game and have that high, high, high-level basketball IQ and see the game differently and not just the athletic profile. Well, I don't think this is by accident. 
for two reasons. I think this is the natural progression of Paul Allen when, when he was still with us was very much interested in the draft process. And he was also very interested in never being burned by another era like the Jailblazers era. And so you saw a totally different type of player, starting with Brandon Roy, being drafted by the Blazers. And the other thing, too, is just recently, Portland has a tremendous reputation with developing players. But that starts with the identifying, you know, the attitudes, the player profiles of guys who are going to come in and work and have worked at a high level. Where Pat Connaughton at Notre Dame, yeah. Jake Lehman from Maryland. We're not talking about blue blood programs here. Mm-hmm. But they're, I mean, obviously Duke is, you know, but they bring in a Rodney Hood who is known as a guy who, again, is a guy that fits that same kind of thing. Even though he had not necessarily flamed out, but had some rough patches, but who character-wise and basketball-wise, you under understands the game. Now, there have been some other guys, maybe a little bit more questionable, that were recently added to the team, uh, but we won't get into that. Well, I mean, but also, I mean, it doesn't always work out. Like, by, all, by that same front frame, Kent Bazemore should have been a slam dunk. Should have been a great fit. Evan should but have been a great fit. Didn't work. Again, again it's, but those are, the, those are the kind of guys that they typically go for. And to me, Cole Anthony is certainly a guy that if he was there, it would be very hard for me to go against. But I'm going to do something really stupid, Steve. <laughs> you, know who who I, who? you know who I'm going to take? Mm. Poku. I don't know. You're for you. Who? Poku. Oh, okay. Pokashevsky. Um, Portland needs a unicorn, man. They need one of these guys. They, 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 they need one of these profiles. And yes, there's a kid coming out of France in a year who's probably even more <laughs> talented, but uh, if he develops into what people think he's going to be, he's not going to be there in the top three after the top three picks. So oh. um, Pokashevsky is a guy who, he looks damn good on paper. He definitely <laughs> needs to put on weight, but you can say that about everybody in this draft, basically not named Wiseman, Okoro, or Edwards. They're kids. That's the, mm. when, whenever I hear somebody say, oh, they need to put on weight or they need to get on size. Like, yeah, no kidding. They're kids. And unless they're a, a junior or a senior in college, they're coming out and they still, still a little iffy. And for, mm. for anybody who's kind of wondering where I'm, why I'm going through this, go ahead and take a look at Ant draft night. And go look at Ant's videos from a week ago and tell me that he doesn't look drastically different as a human being. He went from a kid to a grown-ass man. Like that's, those, that's, and he doesn't weigh all that much more. It's just the way his body is distributed now. But Poku offers so many unique things. Having somebody with size that can put the ball on the floor, knock down shots, be an elite passer, that you can run an entire offense through. Hell, even if he only, this is air quotes, only became Porzingis. That uniqueness of that skill set at that size is just so tantalizing. But yes, and everybody out there rolling their eyes or throwing things at me right now as they're listening to this because it doesn't help the timeline right now. Yeah, no kidding. But I like to dream. I like, I like to have a little bit of fun uh, with this kind of stuff. And again, all the wings are gone. So go best play available and see what happens. My, my two cents on Poku is this. He was one of the, he's one of the strangest players I've ever evaluated film on. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was one of the guys I was very lucky that most of his Europe, under-18 European championship games were available. Mm-hmm. That's what I base the majority off of it is because he played in the Greek second division. Which makes it hard videos, to evaluate. Those videos are 
hilarious. Yes. It looks like he's playing at middle school gyms against uh-huh. middle schoolers. And Which so, that could be. But totally possible. I, what I think about with him is this. What I like about his game is there's a long history of guys who hit seven feet, but they hit it late. They were in that six six three range when they got into basketball. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see him have the guard skills that he has. It's very similar to what Anthony Davis brings to the table as far as ball skills. And if he hits even a fraction of that potential, you're, you're looking at an absolute game changer. I think on the money front, I think Poku offers a very interesting opportunity for teams that are really looking to work around the margins in this kind of uncertain time because I think there there's a real possibility that you stashed him for a year which I know that is nails on a chalkboard for Blazers fans but shout out Petteri Kopanen that guy's still balling too he's like he's 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 playing for like Olympiacos isn't he yeah, and he plays for the Finnish national team. Still, yeah. So, but yeah, he's he's. Actually, yeah, I thought I saw a picture with him and Wade Baldwin once. I, I could be wrong, but I, I could. He's on one of the upper echelon European league teams. Yeah. I was, I saw a picture of him. I was like, oh crap, Petter, you still playing? Cool, good yeah. for him. Yeah, get the so, bag. But, anyway, back <laughs> back on back on subject. I I think you could stash him for a year and bring him over, and, and really just try to maximize whatever flexibility you have to to go after a veteran now. And if you're looking at trying to really maximize Dame's prime years, that might be the move at, at, at 16. So, I mean, if, uh, if, it, I, if it frees up a little bit more money that's committed to that draft pick, sure, I, I, I could see it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think there are certainly some things that Portland can do if the wings are gone. Um, and, again, I, I don't think Cole would be a bad pick. If, if I'm looking like best player available, swing for the fences. Like, if, if there's ever a year to swing for the fences on a pick, this is the year. I just mm-hmm. – there's going to be so much volatility from this draft. And when we get done, there's going to be a couple players that came out of this, that come out of this draft that are absolute monsters. It, it, there's never been a year, never, even when the draft is so-called down, that we don't find a guy who's an eventual baseball you know, Hall of Fame caliber talent. Well, this is, this is the total year where it's, you know, Giannis was the 13th, 14th pick. 13th pick in and, 2010. And is – an MVP, and I could see this being a complete repeat of that somewhere yeah. in here. And there's, there's no was a forty second pick. Yeah, so. I mean, there's, there's, there's always going to be. And the thing is, I'm not saying that the Portland is going to get that guy. I'm just saying that every year there are guys that nobody's. Jimmy Butler was, you know, a late guy. I mean, hell, if you want to look for most recent, and not the fact that he's a complete stud, he's a hell of a player. Gary Trent Jr., second round pick, mm-hmm. like, and he's, he's legitimate two-way starter in the NBA. I would have no problem if Portland had didn't have C.J. McCollum. If Gary Trent Jr. was rolling out there as my starter next year and they had a C.J.-level player at the three, I, I, I wouldn't bat an eye. I, and that's not even like me like trying to trade C.J. I know, I know, I know. I know this is not a real stretch from reality of you, you no. imagining a world without C.J. McCollum. Damn it's, right. It's, it's, it's not, I know. But in all, in all seriousness, this is not a, a knock on C.J., but it's more of a, like an uplifting point of like where I think Gary's at. I think Gary Trent Jr. is a starting caliber two in this league. And that's from a second round guy. So mm-hmm. there's, there's plenty of opportunity for Portland to kind of get ahead here. Um, overall draft, how do you think this is all going to shake out? What's gonna think, what do you think is going to be your big takeaway? And we'll start, and then we'll push into free agency and some trades. I, I think this is a draft where you're going to see some big clashes between the scouting department and the front offices and a lot of these guys. And I think 
Yeah, I mean, we've touched on LaMelo Ball a lot already, and there's already some scuttlebutt coming out of Golden State where ownership would like LaMelo if Wiseman's off the board, and the scouting department is hell no. So I think that's going to be – The PR department's also saying hell no. And I think you're going to see that in a, in a lot of – there. I think there's a lot of prospects that a lot of guys don't see eye to eye on, and it's going to cause a lot of friction. And if it goes poorly, I think you're going to see – a lot of jobs come available because of some decisions that were made on this draft night. And that, I think that is one of my biggest takeaways from this class. Which is why you're seeing so many guys who normally wouldn't get phone calls, get phone calls. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get into free agency slash trades. This is going to kind of be worked in. Um, this is kind of the, this, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to roll it back one just because I want to get your kind of take on, on my, uh, absolute disaster piece of an article last week. Mm-hmm. What's your ideal trade package for, or in return for CJ? And that's from I'm rip city. seven Hayden Tompkins. If you're moving CJ, who, who, and what are you moving him for? I know you've got him because I've sent you a million fictional trades. You know, you hate. I try to stay away from this really because I, I've spent way too much time that I would like to admit on this. Um, and you're just nowhere near mine. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't even hold a candle to that for my own sanity. So I, uh, I, I think it's what you always kind of look for. I think the one that's always been interesting for me, or not always, but in the last six months, is the Sixers have obviously kind of come up the as a, like a logical trade partner. Not mm-hmm. that I think it will actually happen, but I really like the idea of trading CJ and getting a potentially transcendent talent in a package like, like a Joel Embiid who doesn't necessarily fit right now, but there would be a secondary trade that you would make, obviously, if you have two centers on your roster. Um, it would take a lot. It would take a lot of picks. For those that were wondering, that's, that's Steve saying he's going to trade Yusuf Nurkic without actually saying it out loud. Hey, that is uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm it's, saying. It's physical. <laughs> it's physically painful to say. I know. Trust yeah. me. I get it. But so, if you're going to move the big fella, it's going to be for the, the best center in the NBA. And that's, yeah. I mean, I think the seal, I think you make those, from. I think you make those high variance moves that you see a lot of like what Daryl Morey did in, mm-hmm. in Houston is that you just, you just roll the dice and you see what's going to happen and you get, you, you give know, it a real chance. The high, the high of a, the high potential of a Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid pick and roll is something that could just eviscerate even the best teams in the West. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the kind of combination that opens up AD and LeBron. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how good potentially those, those that Dame and Bede could be together. And for those wondering, and I if think, you're talking I about think, size real quick, I want to throw a little thing on Embiid since you brought him up. He had the highest points per possession rating in the modern NBA last season in the post-up. 1.2 points per possession. That's absurd. For anybody who doesn't understand 1.2, that's you're you're on par actually above Damian Lillard in the pick and roll level of points per possession, which is unheard of level of efficiency in what is supposed to be the least efficient possession in the game in the post up. That's I mean, how good he was at a I mean, high volume. And he's doing it in a lineup that features a point guard that can't shoot outside of six feet. So imagine what he could do with a couple shoot like a shooter like Damian Lillard who has Damian on one side and Gary in the short corner. Yep. Be unreal. <laughs> so you're swinging for the fences. That's where you're going. Yeah, I mean I mean yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna break up that level of continuity, it better break it be all up. For, it better be for a move that's going to put you 
you have to sell that, I would imagine, to Damian Lillard as this is a move that has the potential to make you a clear title favorite. And I Which, think any other any move any move that falls short of that is not worth entertaining. So that's why I don't I don't give I don't give a crap about your Aaron Gordon trades. I don't give a crap about your Tobias Harris base trades. Well, like, that's, that's, that's not that's a bad that's, trade anyways. Let's move in deck chairs around. I don't. So want if if you're gonna move it. CJ, you're gonna move CJ with Nurk, and yep. really gonna, go all in. You're gonna give. You're going to put. I mean, it's just what they did, what the Lakers did for LeBron this year. You're going to put a, another top 10 player around your best player to open a title win. And then let everything else fall where it may. Yep. Yep. I'm not against it. I won't. I, I mean, you know me. I'm, I'm, I'm title or bust kind of guy. So, um, all right. This one from Brandon Niles at two guys. Brandon, Ariza Collins. And a first seems like the best way to combine assets and contract value to get a trade going. What are the odds we use something like that to go after a big upgrade somewhere? And who might it be? Oladipo, Heald, Covington? Hmm. Any of those uh, think you think those are achievable or desirable? I think Covington's interesting. I don't necessarily know if that's the trade package. Um, I you'd have to remind me on the cap workings of how Ariza's cap value holds up in a trade since it's not guaranteed is it is it just the 12 will be money? the 12 will be guaranteed yeah so it in it, a trade it, okay yeah so it it works that way so i i was under the impression that it was the opposite which i i granted i'm a little gray on that one so in that case yeah i mean that's a, that's a way you can build up salary with some interesting assets now i think right now you're obviously you're selling tremendously low on zach collins and i i think at this point it's kind of a sunk cost thing where I think really the focus of this next year is that Zach Collins evaluation of where do you go from there? What do you, what do you really have? I, I think of, of those guys that were mentioned, I think Robert Covington's an interesting name because obviously there's been a change. He was brought in by a previous regime. Um, Robert Covington is kind of that a, a specialty type player where he's, he's that fourth piece you kind of plug into your team and, if the new rocket setup does not see him as that fourth piece or, or as a luxury, he could be someone would be very interesting to, to put a phone call in on. Granted, I think there's 29 other teams that are making that phone call too, but at least it's, I think that is a very interesting one. I think his fit is natural inside Portland's setup as far as him being a guy who can pick up most, most, players on the court at any time i mean he got a little exposed guarding point guards in in the bubble this year but i I think for the most part he'd be a massive upgrade defensively and he can shoot from the corner those shadows you see casting over the houston rockets that's the vultures of the nba circling ready to pick the carcass that is left behind by daryl morey and i don't think this is like a daryl morey problem um per se uh for those that may or may not be aware the whole Russell Westbrook thing, just read between the lines on why that trade occurred. Just, you know, shouldn't be hard to see him. Um, so I don't necessarily hang the Westbrook hat on him. Uh, I'd say before that, he was a Chris Paul hamstring away from being in the NBA Finals. So I'm willing to give Maury pretty much all of the, the leash that he wants there. Um, as we look at this kind of group of players, Oladipo's a guy, you know me, I've, I've always wanted to, to add him to this team. Um, I wouldn't trade CJ straight up for him. I, I, I wouldn't, especially now with the injury stuff. But would you be willing to add a little something 
salary wise, if you got a little more more in return to get Depot and, and Warren or Depot and Brogdon, whatever the, the situation may be, would you be willing to basically have him be your sixth man where he's your primary initiator? I think that that role could, could work. It could be clunky. I mean, that's a lot of money to pay a sixth man, especially when you have other needs on your roster. Mm -hmm. Um, I do. I mean, hitting back to something we talked about earlier, Depot is a Hooper's Hooper. That guy grinds. He comes back from, I mean, just one, I think one good way to look at it too, is that guy comes back from, and which sometimes to his detriment comes back from his injuries early soon. And so I think, I I think it would be interesting. I just don't know if, if you're going to make that type of type of a big deal trade, but I would imagine, I would hope you'd have something lined up for CJ to get to address that front court. Now TJ Warren is interesting, but I think if the Blazers were seriously interested in TJ Warren, they could have got him for nothing. Very similar to what Indiana got. The Pacers got him for, which still is just mind blowing to me. Portland struggling to find help at the small forward position. And there's, Basically a T-bone steak being dangled in front of you. Um, or perhaps Phoenix doesn't want to trade him, in, you know, in conference. And that's why he yeah. ends up in Indiana and, the, you know, maybe they had other offers. Um, but as far as what I would expect to be packaged up, that kind of goes along with what I expect. Ariza Collins first. I think those are your first three things that you target right now. If I had to peg it, as much as I know that they, they still believe in Collins, and that's their guy, I still think that there's more belief – in Ant being an absolute stud by the time he hits his full development cycle than there is in Collins. And that's not an anti-Zach thing. I still, th- like I've said a billion times, I still think Zach is going to be an NBA player and stick around in the league, be a rotation big his whole career. That's been the same place I've been with Zach since he was drafted. But I still think that, that around the league, Ant is looked at as a guy that while raw and did have a down year last year, his potential cap is still so high that keeps him from being involved in, in trades like this, unless a real difference maker is coming back in return. Are you, are you on the same level or are you, are you still I just pulling think Zach back from the pile? It's just two different scales. Like I just think the investment in Zach is, is significantly higher because the, the capital they gave up to move up. Yeah. And, and just really, the some of the moves they may have made or did not make because they were banking on his development. I mm-hmm. think. I mean, yes, those are sunk costs, but I think you. I think that's what this. Year, I think what that's what this year is. Is you got to see what you have. I think. I don't think they move him just because. I think, judging by Neil's history, I think he just. He, there's too much investment here, and there's too much that hinges on here from what was packaged to get up there to get him. And this was, you know. This was Neil's pick, and I think you're going to see what, what it pans out to be. And for those that didn't read the article last week, Neil Olshay has never traded a rotation player that has years left on his deal. And right now, with the controlled cost of Zach Collins, it's basically essentially the same way. The only time – I'm trying to think of the only time that they let an RFA go, and that was the sign-in trade with Jake Lightman. That That's it. I, I can't think of any others – that they let go, especially of guys that they drafted. So it's kind of like, okay. So, all right, let's get on to the next question here. This from the the homie, Big Oli, Oli Kossel. Give us your best Drew holiday trade involving the Blazers and Pelicans. Uh, Zion for a first. (laughs) 
Oh, Drew Holiday trade. My bad. Uh, listen, I, I have been an advocate for Drew for a couple of years. Uh, I think we're at the point where that no longer makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't because they're not going to trade him straight across for CJ. Yeah, uh, two years ago, three years ago, maybe. But In my notes, I just wrote, there's no trade that makes anyone happy. That's <laughs> what I wrote. And it's just – I mean, I guess it, it, my thing would be is I, I guess if if you did a CJ – Drew swap. I, I think. I think it makes sides, Portland better. I think both sides would be asking for young assets for the other, mm-hmm. and I think both sides perceive they're in a position of power in that trade. Yeah. And I guess the young asset that I could see like most, I would most come down for would be like DD Silva, who's they stashed him in Australia last year. He's a guy we watched at Hoop Summit. He's legit. I think he's a name you got. Everybody needs to remember. But and he's coming over this. Year here so but still like that's that's gonna be a very tough sell for portland fans yeah i just i think it would make portland better i think it would make sense and i think it would make new orleans better both in the immediacy but i don't think it makes sense for for both teams because neither gets to admit they won the trade Mm-hmm. And these are, I think, in organizations that because they're quote-unquote smaller markets, you have to win the trade. And New Orleans, the next like five trades they win, they, they get, they're in that involves a player of consequence, they have to win them because of the AD stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the optics behind that, otherwise it becomes the team that can't keep their stars. The team that can't keep guys happy. And that stuff matters. I don't care what you're saying or shaking your head to or any of that. If you're listening to this, that stuff matters to players, agents, and executives. Well, I mean, they're already building the case to keep Zion already. I mean, they're, that, they're that already fighting against that. it. Yeah. Like if that, if, if, if you, if you don't truly understand or recognize that right now, that's what they're already fighting against. All right. So no, all right. That's our quick commercial break. We're back. <laughs> What's funny is in, in, in post-production, I'm absolutely 100% putting the ad read right there. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, All this, right. this is sponsored by Oregon Craft Beer that makes my bladder <laughs> very full. All right. Let's get to some free agency stuff. And this, we haven't really touched on this yet. Uh, free agency is going to start basically the second the uh, draft ends legally. Um in real life, franchises already started. Uh, Absolutely. N- nobody gives one bleepity bleeping bleep about tampering this offseason. Not one bit. Uh, that probably has a lot to do with the fact that a super, superstar isn't going to be trading, changing teams via free agency, whereas if this was next year, uh, that would not be the case. Uh, I, I have a feeling that next year come Giannis's free agency, uh, that stuff's going to be monitored pretty heavily. Um, what that could mean for small markets going forward. There's going to be some owners who are going to be pretty pissed off if they don't uh, at least give the assumption or the preface that it's kind of being looked at. So um, let's get this one out of the way. At River Mamas, Matthew Gallo, Jeremy Grant, Jay Crowder have all spoken as possibly possible blazer free agent targets. Are any of these reasonable gets for Portland or should we expect a free agent from the next tier down? I'm going to touch this one first because I want to dash all hopes. No, 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 and no. I'd love them. All three of them would solve a lot of problems for Portland. Uh, Grant and Crowder specifically on the defensive end. Gallo being leaning into the, the offensive end where it would be one hell of a regular season team. Like Dame, CJ, Gallo, Nurkic would be a nightmare 
cover night in, night out, especially with the way that we're looking at games being played in the series. Cool. We're going to pick and roll you to death with multiple combinations, one, four, one, five, two, four, two, five. Oh, we're going to throw somebody out there at the three who's just going to rim run and back cut on you endlessly. You know, I could see it. Or, or we're going to put park Gary Trent Jr. in the corner and run him off every action or every screen can be slipped. Gallo can dive. Nurk can dive. Both can pop. And you've got to deal with Dame and CJ in a pick and roll where if you go under one of these screens, you're going to get cooked. Like in a regular season, sign me up. But this is all a fantasy. It's not happening. Denver is keeping Jeremy Grant. Uh, Kroenke's finally going to open up his damn wallet because they legitimately have a path. If Michael Porter Jr. pops on a rookie deal, which is – it's feasible. It is. Like, it's mm-hmm. – he's not going to play a lick of defense, but it doesn't matter if you can come in and score 20 and 20. Like he that's, has the talent and size to be a difference maker. He's 6'10 and can take anybody in the league off the bounce. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, he can absolutely stroke the living hell out of him in three. Mm-hmm. He has no doubt superstar potential. I don't care what you say about the Nuggets, this, that, or the other. Oh, yeah, and also Jamal Murray looks like he's on that same trajectory that we saw Damian Lillard on. Like What mm-hmm. him and Donovan Mitchell showed is that those guys are superstar guards who are going to fill in behind Dame when he's gone. Mm-hmm. So – Denver's all in. You're not getting him. And everything that I have heard about Jay Crowder, every single thing I have heard about him out of Miami is he is 100% committed to that culture. As much as I would love to see him here, but there's also a caveat to that. Jay Crowder's in a contract here. Contract here, get Jay Crowder, shoots better than actual Jay Crowder. So you're still looking at a Minu-esque three-point shooting, but much more fluid defense. You're probably going to overpay. So my answer to this is, Number one, all would be great, all are ungettable, the next tier down. Also, with uh, Crowder and Gallo, you're probably paying more for past production than you are future production. Grant's the only one in here I think you're paying for future production, which is what you should be doing in free agency. Did I snuff it all out for you? You got anything else? I I think that – I think just really just to cherry on top with that was – not only would I say looking at the next tier down, I would say you probably need to look two tiers down from free agents in that, unfortunately. Um, I would just say Grant and Crowder are in winning situations where they can stay in winning situations. And, and one of them is in Miami. And, Gal- and Gallo is trying to get to that type of situation. And I think Portland has a very competitive roster when healthy, but – let's face it, they're not the Miami Heat right now and they're not the Denver Nuggets right now. I mean, yes, Portland beat the Nuggets in the playoffs last season, but that there, team it's a different team and bounds and improvement. And, and if you were going to create a front court player in a lab to play next to Nikola Jokic, it would be Jaron Grant. Yes. And the, I, I think his agent has to see that. He has to see that. And he has to see what potentially – And it's not he like he's, like he's going to take less money there. Like no. he's, he's, he's going to get – his not a max but he's going to get basically his full allowance he's going to get that 15 17 million a year in a year where it's not going to make sense for anybody to give it to him because of the of the the unsure financial cycle that we're in right now he's still going to command that money and so place you want to be in a winning situation where the culture makes sense and you're going to get the bag granted it's not a premier destination but they've done enough, I think, to show that they're committed to winning and having a culture that's not dysfunctional. It's, it's, 
and Grant's not a kid. So he's, he's been around long enough to know, obviously he's got guys in the league that, you know, he can talk to that will let him know that, Hey, you've got it good there. And then I think we're seeing more of that happen where guys are trying to get out of bad situations or, or willing or more likely to stay in a good situation. Well, I mean, he has, I mean, he has a father and an uncle to look directly at those type of situations. Yes. So I, I think he's a lock to stay in Denver. Yeah. As much as I would, again, he would be the perfect for, I mean, as much as he's perfectly fit to play alongside Nikola Jokic, he's equally so against Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly the kind of guy you're looking for. All right. Um, let's kind of get a little bit more free agency here from Wayne Hughes at Sue's fellow more than likely. And he'll just work on the fringes of free agency. Let's say no large trades are made safe assumption. Please cover those <laughs> low cost free agency vet players. That makes sense. I'm going to let you take this one since I rambled out the first one. I know uh, that I, I asked you to come up with a couple here. So who did you come up with? Like I said, this is not going to be a fun list for most this, Portland listeners. This, this tier <laughs> so. goes down, but there's functional players oh, yeah. here. There's guys here where I think there's been a very common theme with what the Blazers chase on the fringes. They chase untapped potential, and I think they just chase a, a veteran skill set. that has – Yeah, it, untapped skill set or a veteran with, like, one functional skill, i.e. Anthony Tolliver. So I would say, I mean, Derek Jones Jr. has been a guy who's been brought up. I still think he might be outside of Portland's price range just because of his age. He's only 23 years old. He's still a kid. Like, it feels like he's been in the league yeah. forever, but yeah, yeah, he's still a kid. The other guy, I, and this is, again, a not a very you know, inspiring name, but Michael Kidd Gilchrist, I think, is a guy who can add some defensive versatility. I, it sounds like the Knicks are rumored to be interested in him. And with the level of tampering that's going on, there's probably already a contract in place. When yeah. the, and who has like a truckload of money? Yeah. The, the Knicks are one of the few teams that are operating with. The Knicks uh, and the Hawks Knicks. are the two teams that have more money than anybody else right now. They can yeah. do basically whatever they want, especially. If, and they're going to miss out on somebody they really want. And then they're going to throw a mon- bunch of money at a guy that they shouldn't and, and go I, get the bag, whoever that is. <laughs> and, and, but Kid Gilchrist is, I mean, he's a guy who Portland collects. 2012 lottery picks like pokemon cards yep so like i think he fix he fits that system um he, he's just a guy you can put in there and he can guard he, multiple i mean positions he's not gonna in the bubble he shooter. looked good too like he he was functional offensively yeah. defensively there's zero questions about michael kid Gilchrist. and then a guy i mean we and you have both talked about both really liked him when he was coming out is josh jackson i think He's a guy who has been <laughs> put it in my veins. Yeah, I listen, I know there's some personality stuff. There's mm-hmm. some off the court stuff that's not pretty. It's not great, but basketball wise, unquestionable, perfect fit, perfect fit. And then I just depending on what the Suns do, I think that my the guy who's on the top of my list, and granted, there he's not a clear cut unrestricted free agent, is Dario Saric. I think he's a guy. Even if he's not in that starting role, he's a guy you want to bring off the bench. He can play next to Zach. He can play next to Nurk. He, I think he's just a good basketball player. He has a huge toolbox of skills. And you're buying low. And, and you're buying low on his talent. Now, granted, I think the Suns keep him around, but I think if you threw the full MLE at him, there's a potential that he might, might come to Portland. But it all just kind of – it depends, but I guess if on that on that you know if you're outside of that top tier of like realistic stuff that 
guys that Portland could throw money at. I think Dario Saric is my guy when you move down a tier of probably the top of my list of guys who I'd want to see in Portland. Yeah, I, I'd flip uh, Jackson and Saric, but I think those are, those are the, the – if we're talking about the, the tiered guys, those are the two guys. Jackson came in from Memphis at the end of the year last year and looked like what he was supposed to be when he came out. Go back and read my tweets heading into that draft. I had, think I had Josh and uh, I think I had Josh Pegg number three on my board. I'm stupid high on the kid. Always have been, but there's you know that whole you know mm-hmm. where you play college at. If you've got a Kansas crush, just just unless you're Joel Embiid, it's kind of hard to. No. It's kind of like North Carolina in that respect. Sorry, Nas. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. But he's toolbox-wise, long, rangy, explosive, can cover one through four, can slide up to the four as a legit four against small ball lineups, can be a starting level three, has shown the capacity to knock down shots. He's the – if you've got a slider for your free agency guys – He's the he's the slider turned slightly more to the defensive side. Sorry, just slightly turned more to the offensive side. It depends on which one you really like to see. If you're looking for a starter, I think Jackson makes more sense as your starter. I think Sarge makes more sense as your bench guy. Unless you got a, a guy at the three who you trusted defensively, and you could put Sarge at the four. And I, and I think that would be something you could take a look at. There's a guy in here that we didn't touch on, but we did touch on before the podcast. I love Ant. That's unquestioned. I love Gary. I love Nas. I think all three of those guys have a future in the NBA successful rotation caliber players. None of them are point guards. Ant has worked on this offseason about looking at the floor, reading the floor, anticipating passes, not always having his, his blinders on, making sure he's trying to score. That's a work in progress. Learning to be a primary initiator ball handler is a difficult thing. I'd argue the most difficult thing in the NBA right now all the things you have to process. You know who's really good at that kind of stuff? A 32-year-old point guard who's made a living being a floor general, I would say floor raiser point guard. He's not a ceiling raiser by any shape, matter, or form, but he's been successful and consistent everywhere he's been. DJ Augustine. He fits every bit of the mold of guys that they've brought in. High basketball IQ, able to run an offense. He's Tim Frazier on steroids. That's, that's what he is. He's Steve Blake. He's Shabazz when he wasn't gunning towards the end of the season. Let's, let's call it December Shabazz because once the new year rolled around, he was looking for a contract. Those shots went up a little bit more. But he's a guy that if he's running your second unit, I don't even blink. And here's, here's another one that's probably going to piss some people off, but I, I'd love it just for the giggles. J.J. Barea. <laughs> I saw that name on there and I thought about it. Here's the, the thing. Connection. Exactly. He knows the offense. You would not in a short camp turnaround, which you do have to worry about when bringing in somebody who's going to run your offense. JJ Barea could absolutely come in and run this offense. Mm-hmm. And if he came in on a, on a, on a vet men deal, I'd be fine. Him or Augustine would, ha- I would have zero issues with. They, they would be able to run that unit just fine. You put Ant off ball, let him be a scorer and a secondary facilitator because he showed he wasn't quite ready for that yet. But those are the guys that I would immediately go for. Like if, if you're looking for that, that backcourt help, Augustine and Berea, for that somewhat quasi-front court help, Jackson and, and Sarge. Those are, the, I think, the four guys that you hone in on 
Um, obviously, last year, we, we pretty much got all of them right. We put our, our free agent pegging down uh, as far as who was going to go where. Uh, as far as Portland was concerned, we kind of saw where they were going to go in free agency. And I, this is the early tea leave reading. I think those are the guys that Portland, Portland's definitely going to look at when we're talking about free agency. I, I want to add one name in there at the very end, just when you're talking about connection to the city and hopefully his brother put in a good word in his brief time here. But I think Marc Gasol is a name that would be interesting for Portland too. I think Listen, if he doesn't go to Spain, if he, if he is no doubt committed to playing basketball, it would have been worth the jokes of Powell being a blazer, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to get Mark here. Yep. And it, it would push Zach primarily to the four. But if you're not entirely trusting of Nurk's injuries, and you're not entirely trusting of Zach's injury record so far, you could do worse than getting Mark Gasol or, or his teammate, Serge Ibaka. Yep. Both, both are guys that I would if, – if Portland signed them for a partial MLE, like that five, six million for a year or two, um, I'd be okay with that. I, mm-hmm. I would – I think you have to give at least two years if you use the partial Emily or is it three? It's one of those two, but yeah, the biannuals too, I think. And so then, it, and yeah. they didn't use their biannual last year. So I would, mm-hmm. that's what kind of what I would look at. So give, if Mark retires, you don't have to worry about it anyways. If Ibaka is here for two years, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm okay just saying, that. if you hear this, Amara, put in the phone call, get Mark here on a discount. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Listen, you know where my heart stands with big Spain. All yeah. right, like that—that's a guy that before they got Nurk, I wanted. That was—that's—that's that's my dude. So listen, I with open arms. I, I, we can we can revive the Spanish Armada. We can call Rudy and Sergio. We can have <laughs> some parties. I have a sneaky suspicion Rudy's never coming back to Portland. So. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of big men, speaking of Nurkic, this is the question I think we're going to kind of wrap on, just because we kind of went long on some of the other stuff. But I think this is actually where we'll probably spend the most time. Drew Elizard Miller, I'm hoping I'm getting your, your hyphenated name right. Nurkic trajectory. Have we seen his ceiling? How good could he get from here? I'm going to preface this with when they moved for him after Nurk fever, you and I talked about him a lot. We had the, the BE night. We had the dinner and everything. And I remember this because it was one of the few times where I put down a no BS, I think this guy is going to be this unquestioned. And I've reiterated it multiple times on the podcast. Prime Nurkic is 18 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, two blocks. In the bubble, Nurkic was 18 points, 12 rebounds, almost four assists, one and a half blocks. That is his stat line. He could bump it up and be a 2014 guy. He could up his assist ratio. But he is who he is right now. That's a damn good player who slots in perfectly alongside Damian Lillard. The only guy I think that you get it's any better is the aforementioned Joel Embiid. Where Nurkic gets better is efficiency. Knocking down threes, being better at the free throw line, and being stronger at the rim. I'm not saying he needs to post up more. I think his post up rate is just fine. And he's not settling for mid-range shots. He's taking shots that he's shown he is capable of hitting. If he can be 36% from three, if he can be better as the short roll man, he's good right now. 
He's better as a stationary playmaker, but if he can be better as a short roll man and he can clean up the stuff around the rim, those, I think those three things are the key to him being a very good, no BS, near all-star big. And then we're talking about if he cleans those things up, he's an all-star caliber big. Because right now I have him fifth or sixth in the NBA uh, as far as big men are concerned. I, I can see. I just want to touch on a couple of things where it's just outside of the, I agree with everything you said there. I think, I think we're just starting to see the game on offense slow down for him. Yeah. And I think the sky is the limit for him as a facilitator from the post. And I think you're seeing him see that not quite on a Jokic level, but I mean, if he can get to making some of those plays is going to be huge. I, I think he, he has a really good feel of, making the pass ahead of the defense. And that's something I've really touched on on my profile is how to read a defense instead of just, you know, passing as a safety valve. And I think we've seen that transition from Nurk, and I, I do believe the game is slowing down. I still think we haven't seen a lot of him play at this lighter weight. I think that could unlock things for him on both ends of the floor. I think mm -hmm. when he did was forced to switch on defense, when they were playing those two center lineups, I think he performed better than I expected him to. Yes, he did. Um, if that comes along, that changes how Portland operates. It, uh, it, when he's back as a true center and the only center in the lineup, that changes – that open, unlocks a door that Terry Stotts walked through once with Mason Plumley and Myers Leonard and then immediately shut that and boarded mm -hmm. that room up. So I think if you have that type of flexibility, you're starting to see – Portland won't be as predictable on defense if he's able to do some of those things differently. To tag on that, for everybody who wants to beat up Stotts for this, number one, it's a personnel. Stop. It's, it's personnel. Don't argue with me. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> because, and this is not me just like, I'm right. This is, let's roll it back to LaMarcus Aldridge playing the five. Mm -hmm. Go back and look at the tape and look at the numbers behind it. LaMarcus Aldridge playing the five, even though he didn't want to, how many times did he switch in high leverage situations when LaMarcus Aldridge was playing the five in the playoffs, they were not running drop coverage when they have had guys that they can trust to make that play. And it was obviously one of the reasons why I, I was such a huge LaMarcus fan is because his defense was vastly underrated. He wasn't all world, but he was a no doubt seven footer who could be the primary hub of your offense and still not get torched on the perimeter as a center. That's so far and few between. If Nurk gets anywhere near that level, that unlocks what they can do a lot more defensively. They don't have to play drop all the time. They could work tagging the – and Nurk did a fantastic job of this against what is going to be a dynamic pick-and-roll pair, hopefully for the entire time they're in their league, John Morant and Jaron Jackson. Mm -hmm. Go back and watch the game film in those games in the bubble – what Nurk did defensively was masterclass, tagging on probably the second most explosive point guard in, in modern NBA history in John Morant behind Russell Westbrook. And, yes, I'm placing him above Derrick Rose in that capacity. His ability to turn the corner in the pick and roll is obscene. Now, Rose is a straight-line driver is god tier. But in a pick and roll making that read – Nurk stifled those two more times than I could count. And it was for him to come back and look like that was mm. incredible to me to be able to stick with and read jaw who is one of the most explosive rookies 
I've ever seen as a point guard, not just athletically, but making you make a decision defensively. And I think that that kind of burden, that, that's what kind of unlocks what Nurkic can do defensively. Obviously, they're a better team with Nurk on the floor. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's arguing that. If you're arguing that, you're insane. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Yeah. But being able to deal with a Jaron Jackson rim roll or a pick and pop and knowing when and where to step out, take away the passing lane while also contesting one of the best young finishers in the league shows you exactly the kind of things that you were hitting on. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're Portland, you have to be excited about that. But statistically, do you think Nurk gets above really what we saw in the bubble? I, I, I don't think so. I think, like you said, I think the efficiency numbers will probably come up, hopefully. But I, as a total output, I don't, I don't see – I think we're approaching the ceiling there would be my guess. Um, there, I think there is a chance for maybe a, one more assist per game and probably cut down on the turnovers. But Again, we're yeah, tightening already, things up. Yep. Exactly. I don't, I don't see there being any monumental breakthrough. I think a lot of this stuff now as he approaches the ceiling is just as important as that total output. It's, it's the intangible things. It's the little things. It's opening up flexibility for the entire team. It's stepping you know, out oh, offensively and defensively. And offensively to the three-point line. If Nurk mm-hmm. can get out to the corner, we're not talking above the break. With a pick and pop up there, like Porzingis would be nice. But if Nurk can basically work his way out towards the baseline – off ball weak side what that does to a defense when all of a sudden the big has to get out beyond the dunker spot think about how much more room somebody mm-hmm. like a nasir little has for a back cut or ant or or somebody who's not dame or cj where the defense is entirely focused all the time those tertiary guys have a lot more room to work with if nurks on the floor able to, to do things at three levels or i think just something that we've been begging portland to get better at for the last couple of years is those hockey style assists where that that's something where if Nurkic is out from the high post and he's seeing, I mean, and he's already starting mm-hmm. to see this, but he's seeing those plays develop. I mean, making that first pass that leads to that, you know, the, the eventual assist or, or I think that's something important is lacked with this, this group. And I think that's something that Nurk can definitely change, but it's hard. You're not going to see that in the box score. Yeah. He can definitely unlock that stuff. Well, speaking of locking and unlocking, there's a few other questions we want to get to, but we're just we're running too late, and I've already kept you too long because it is football Sunday, and I know your Dolphins are getting ready to play. Uh, Tua is 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 the the driving force behind us. But thanks for joining us, man. <laughs> Thank you everybody for else for getting questions in. For everybody that doesn't know, we are on Spotify now too. So if you want to get us there, we are available basically anywhere you listen to podcasts: uh, Megaphone, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, again. Please rate, review, subscribe. Um, I, I, particularly, I love the reviews that, that, uh, of folks that hate me with a passion. Hate me all you want. Just keep listening, baby. That's all I care about. Keep downloading. Keep listening. Check still cash the same. <laughs> Jeez. Listen, man, spiteful listeners is just as good as, as loving conditional listeners. Who we, Again, we love you guys too. Shout out to everybody who loves the show and keeps coming back. Uh, in all seriousness, though, Thank you, everybody. It's great to be back. Steve, thank you for coming on, man. Go ahead and plug some stuff. I know you got some more coming out um, that you've got coming in the next couple of weeks. I, I mean, it's just a, it's an insane race to the finish line for this draft. Um, I will have a lot of stuff. I want to work through a few more profiles before I really kind of zero in on the three, four guys I really like for Portland. Um, and that is going to be both in the first and second round, which obviously the second round is a lot harder to project, but we're trying to get a lot of those profiles out. So. 
Um, just stay tuned for that. There'll be at least one or possibly two per day the rest of the way out. All right. And with that, uh, we also do have a bit of a draft show coming up. So uh, Steve will be a part of that. I'm trying to work on some other loose ends to bring in some other folks, some BE contributors, as well as some uh, guest panelists, analysts. Maybe, maybe we can get some uh, active players to talk about their draft process. I'm, I'm in the process of kind of pulling those guys in. But basically because of COVID and my inability to basically to be in an NBC studio, um, with everybody else at the same time, we're going to kind of do things here. We're going to do it live. Um, I want to be able to have some, some user interaction, stuff like that. So if you guys have thoughts, ideas, uh, definitely stay tuned for that. And we, we hopefully we can have everybody, ooh, everybody participate but again, Steve, thank you for hopping on, man. I appreciate you go watch your dolphins. Um, uh, <laughs> what, what is, is it, is it like get wet? Is that, is that the official? I no, that's <laughs> not it. No, that's wrong. No, that's, that's a that I'm pretty sure that's like the adult shop slogan right there. So let's uh, it's not what, that. No, is, what what is it? Is it eh, is it a little, little dolphin call? I, don't what, know. I mean, what do dolphins fans do? Pick your pick your favorite Ace Ventura quote, and that's what it is. Okay, all right. So that, is that is that basically like that is the ethos of the Dolphins fan? All right, so I just like, like I'm, I'm a Raiders fan, man. So it's everything yeah. is, you know, Death Star and you know Black Hole. Like we, we we've got a bunch of stuff that we go on. Dolphins fans, I don't I don't know. So just like, undefeated, just, just undefeated. That's just laces out. That's that. That's yep. it. Laces, laces out. out. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again, everybody. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. We'll catch you all next week. And bye.